0: Genesis chapter 28, beginning reading in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. evening, when I was running Lisa down to the cities, went down and spent the night at our daughter Hannah's house so I could take her to the airport bright and early the next morning. We usually have one rule that when we leave town that you can't eat anything that you can eat up here. We always like to eat something that we can't eat at home when we're out on the road. And so we're on our way down there and we're debating that. We're pretty hungry because it's getting to be about 8 o'clock at night and we haven't had dinner yet. And so it's like, well... Maybe we'll just stop at Cook and go to the McDonald's. As we're leaving McDonald's and Cook, and all of a sudden I hear, a Hello, stranger. And I looked up, and there was Big Jim. I forget his last name. He always drove a bus for the school for years and years and did a gun safety classes. But I looked up, and I said, Oh, hey, how are you doing? You know, just kind of bumped into him, didn't expect to see anybody that I knew there. That's kind of what's happening to Jacob here. He's leaving his family because of his brother Esau's threat, heading toward his his mom's brother's place. And uh, along the way, he gets to this place, and he's just bedding down for the night, and he encounters God. And Jacob, what what does he say when he gets up? It's kind of like me bumping into the gym at McDonald's. You get out of town, you don't plan on bumping into people that you know. That's what happens with Jacob. Jacob gets up and he says, wow, apparently God was here and I didn't even know it. I wasn't planning on bumping into God, he's just planning on getting away from Esau." And he, but, but he does. He has this encounter with God. And that's what we want to consider this morning is that idea of encountering God. Because we want to encounter God. We're encountering God here together this morning. As we gather together where God's promises, where two or more have gathered together in my name, I will be there in the midst. So we encounter God together as we gather together in fellowship around Him. We encounter Him individually as we spend time with Him in word and in prayer. And probably more often than we expect when, he, when we bump into other people, and especially other Christians, and, and get some encouragement from one another through the week and that kind of a thing. We encounter God when we meet God on His terms. It's God that initiates these meetings with us. It's, it's God that is working in our life. It's God that draws us to Himself. You know, Jesus would once tell His disciples, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. And it's God that's doing the same thing. Look with Jacob here. Jacob isn't out there seeking out God. God is drawing Jacob to Himself. God comes and sets up this encounter with Jacob. And so it's done on God's terms. You know what? The same thing is true of us. If we encounter God, it is through His Son Jesus Christ as He laid down His life for us and rose again from the dead. Outside of that, there is no encounter of God. That's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Me. When we all encounter God, we have to encounter God in His terms. This is His salvation. This is His way of doing things. And you know what? I think that we're seeing that very clearly as we look through this part of Genesis. Because stop and think with me here for a few minutes, what's happened? Think back to Abraham with me for a moment. Abraham's promised a son. He decides to take matters into his own hands. And he and Sarah enlist the help of Hagar. And they have a child, Ishmael. God rejects it outright. God would work. And provide the child Isaac in Abraham's old age. So God rejected Abraham's efforts to do it, his, do it on his own. And God insisted on the promise. In the Tower of Babel, when you look at Genesis chapter 11, they're making a, a tower. And this tower is going to what? Reach up to the heavens. And they're building their way up to heaven. So they all gather together and they build this tower. Now in Babel it's kind of interesting. Because in Babel What happens? They said, we're going to build this tower. We're going to make our name great. And what does God do? Confuses the plan. Spreads them out. But then what does He do? He comes to Abraham. And He chooses Abraham. And He says, you know what? I'm going to make your name great. So they were going to make their name great. God says, nope. God says, I'm going to make your name great to Abraham. So you see, God is accomplishing through His efforts... What these people wanted to accomplish through their efforts. The same thing with the tower. What did they want to do with the tower? We're going to build this tower that leads all the way up to the heavens. We're going to access God. We're going to get to heaven by building this tower. they are going to build this stairway to heaven. had nothing to do with Led Zeppelin at the time. But we're going to build this stairway all the way up to heaven. What does God do? No, you're not. He gets rid of their plan. But then shortly after, what do we see with Jacob? We see a stairway. The words ladder, the Hebrew word it probably better translated actually stairway. And so God shows Jacob in this dream a stairway to heaven. What is what is God doing? He he tower of Babel, people, we're going to accomplish this, we're going to build this stairway to heaven, we're going to access God. God says, No, you're not. Pushes it all the way. Only to do what? To turn around a couple generations later to Jacob and say, Here's the stairway to heaven. You see what people keep trying to do through their efforts. Abraham tried to, in his own human effort, take Hagar, have a child that God had promised him. God says, nope. God miraculously made him and Sarah have a child. God did it. Tower of Babel, we're going to make our name great. God says, nope. Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. Tower of Babel, we're going to build our way up to heaven. God says, nope, you're not coming up to me. I'm coming down to you. You see, that's exactly the difference between Christianity and all the man-made religions of the world. The man-made religions of the world are always Babel. They're always trying to reproduce Babel. They're always trying through human effort to get to God. I'm going to access God through my effort, through my works, through my religion, through my ceremonies, through my... No, you're not. I did the same thing. I always thought I would be okay with God, that I would get to go to heaven when I died. Why? Because I was a good enough person. I was living an okay life. I was doing alright. Of course, it's by my standards, not God's, that I was measuring myself. But I always thought that I would be acceptable before God because I, I believed Him. And by that, at that point, I just meant you believe that he existed. It didn't mean anything to me other than that. I believe that he exists, and I'm living a pretty decent life, so surely he's going to be happy with me. Those are my accomplishments, and you know what? Those are not acceptable to God. By my accomplishments, I fall way short of the glory and the holiness of God. But you know what I needed? I needed him to do it for me. I needed that stairway to heaven, but not one that I build. One that he puts down. You see, I need to get to heaven, but I, I can't get there. But He can come down to me, and He can bring me. We encounter God as we meet Him on, in His plan. And His plan is, you're not going to do it through your efforts, Abraham. You're not going to do it through your efforts, you people at the Tower of Babel. I'm going to step in and make these things happen. And that's exactly what happens with us. How are we acceptable before God? How do we reach heaven? It's through God sending His Son down to that cross to die on that cross and then raising Him from the dead. Him getting victory over death, which He then gives to us. It's by Jesus taking our sins and burying Him in His own body on that tree so that we can become the righteousness of God in Him. It's it's not about us accomplishing it. It's about Jesus finishing it as He said that on the cross. It is finished. Where did Abraham get his righteousness? As we've already seen coming up through the book, it says Abraham believed God and God credited him for righteousness. You see, when we believe God, it's not about us achieving God. It's about God coming down to us and we just believe Him. And it's through that faith, not our works, that we come to this salvation. Well, as we look at this encounter with God, we want to notice first of all, The revelation. What what specifically is this? What is going on as we look at this revelation? What is this stairway to to heaven? What is this ladder, this dream that Jacob has? And and you know what? I find it interesting because the Bible says that he's on his way from there to Haran. Most commentators figure that the place Jacob stopped to sleep for the night has a pretty rich history to it. And he's at this place, Bethel, the, the house of God. He's at a place where Abraham has worshipped before. He's at a place where Abraham came to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. It's a place seemingly where Jesus Christ would eventually be sacrificed as the Son of God would be sacrificed, not just Isaac. And so it's all in in pointing toward Christ in that way. What is the revelation that God gives Jacob in this place? He gives him this ladder that's that's coming down to the earth. And, And what does it signify or what does it point to? Well, I think we find very clearly what it points to when we get up to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, what's happening is Jesus is calling his disciples. And Jesus calls his disciples and he calls Philip. And he tells Nathaniel, we found him. We found the Messiah. And Nathanael's curious, who is it? And he tells him, it's Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response is, what good can come from Nazareth? Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? And so he's kind of looking down his nose at this prospect of this. He's skeptical, I guess you'd say. And and in John chapter 1, Philip says, well, come and see. So Nathanael's coming with Philip to come to Jesus to see if he's the Messiah. And this is what it says in John chapter 1 and verse verse 47 and following. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. I love that because where is where do we find the name Israel? Israel, the Israelites, are because they're descendants of Israel. Israel is Jacob. Pretty soon, God's going to take Jacob and He's going to change His name to Israel. And then that's what the nation of Israel today gets their name from. And so, it's kind of neat because Jesus says to Nathanael, Behold an Israelite indeed, within whom is no deceit. And and we have our the history of Israel is in the forefather Jacob, And Jacob was, what does the name Jacob mean? Deceiver. And Jacob was, as we talked about last week, he was kind of slippery. He was kind of sneaky. He was a deceiver. Jesus takes his name Israel, an Israelite referring to Nathan, in whom is no deceit. But it's an insight into Nathan's character. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. There are fig trees all over Israel back in that time. The fig tree was a common tree around there. For Jesus to say, Well, when you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you, I saw you. That's how I know you. So he's shown a little bit of insight into Nathaniel's character, probably something Nathaniel's proud of, not being a deceitful person, being above board and honest individual he shows some insight into his character and but he says before when you're sitting under the fig tree i knew you or i saw you nathaniel that was enough right there nathaniel said you are the son of god but when i get to heaven i want to know what were you doing under that fig tree you know was he having just some amazing devotion time what was there that's significant? Because some, just to say I saw you sitting under that tree, there was something under that, that happened under that tree that must have been meaningful to Nathaniel. That when Jesus brought that up, Nathaniel's like, wow. Not just anybody would know that. And there's gotta be something in that connection there. But Nathaniel tells him, you are the son of God. Now Jesus says to him, he answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now that should connect us right back to our passage in Genesis when we think about it. Because what what is it exactly that Jacob is experiencing there in the dream? What is he seeing? Well, Jacob tells us himself a little bit later on in the passage. He gets up and he says, apparently God was here and I didn't even realize it. And so what does he name the place? He names the place Bethel, the house of God. And he says, this is the place, this is the gate, what does he call it? The gate of heaven. This is the gate of heaven. So just as the image shows us, Jacob is saying, look, this is the place, this is the house of God, this is the gate of heaven that God is revealing to me here. This is the angels are ascending and descending upon this this stairwell to heaven and this ladder to heaven, this is the way into heaven. The gate. The access point. And what is Jesus saying then? Jesus tells Nathan, You will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Just like Jacob saw in his dream. He's telling Nathaniel that that dream that Jacob had way back where he saw the way to heaven, that way to heaven is me. I'm the one that the angels ascend and descend on. Not the stairs. Now, it makes perfect sense when you think about it, because who is Jesus? Jesus is the perfect stairway to heaven or the perfect ladder from heaven. Because at the top of the ladder, what do you have? You have God. And at the bottom of the ladder, what do you have? You have man. And who is Jesus? He's both. He's God and man. He's the Son of God from all time, coming and becoming a man, and Philippians tells him, He empties Himself and becomes a man. So he existed in eternity past as God, but he becomes a man. It says about uh, Jesus in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, that he's the one that made all things, that he was present in creation, and he's the creator of the world, but that he became a man. As you look at the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, it says, The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with Him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things as He hath made, did when the fullness of time was come, take upon Him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the scriptures. So that two whole, perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus God? Yes, he's completely God. Is He part God? No, He's not part God. He is all God. But what about man? Is Jesus man? Yes, Jesus is man. Is he, is he part man? No. Is He part man and part God? No. He is all God and He's all man. And the two natures are so blended together that neither nature is compromised and neither nature is confused. It's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, but that's exactly who Jesus is. And we've discussed for years and years and years on how those two natures work together and what is that hypostatic union that the theologians speak of and how does it work and who is this Christ. But the Bible maintains clearly that He is both of those. He is very clearly God. He is very God of very God and He is absolutely man at the same time. And so we see that He is the perfect ladder between heaven and earth. He is the perfect stairwell because He is God and He is man. Well, not only do we see the revelation that Jacob has given, but we see this reconfirmation. God's not starting over with something new here. He's continuing what He started with Abraham. Notice what He does he, with Jacob is He reconfirms the covenant that we've already seen in Abraham. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. You and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so he's telling Jacob the same exact thing that he told Abraham. He gave Abraham the land. Now he tells Jacob, I'm giving you the land. I'm giving you the the offspring are going to be like the dust. He told Abraham at one point they're going to be like the sand of the sea. They're going to be like the dust of the earth, he told him, at another point. They're going to be like the stars of the heavens, he told him, at another point. Now he tells Jacob, he says, your descendants are going to be like that dust of the earth. And he tells them through your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. So he reconfirms the same covenant again to Jacob. It's the same with us. God doesn't come and meet each of us on our own different wavelength. He does deal with us personally. There's no doubt about it. But you know what? If He's delivering you, He's delivering you through those same covenants. Our salvation is traced all the way back to Abraham. The covenant that God started with Abraham, He's fulfilling in Jesus Christ. The new covenant in Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of all the covenants that God gave before. And it's through that new covenant that, and through the fulfillment of all those covenants that we have the salvation that God provides for us. When He saved you, it's not a different salvation than He has for me. He's not tailor-making one for everybody. He has one salvation that He's provided for us in the death and the resurrection of His Son. And it's through that that we all participate. In Hebrews chapter 13.5, it points back to part of this that we enjoy. Notice part of the confirmation that He gives, or the reconfirmation we'll call it, that He gives to Jacob. He tells Jacob, He says, I'm going to be with you. That's going to be a prominent theme throughout the Bible. When the nation of Israel is delivered out of Egypt and they come back to this land, they're going to be living in tents. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to make another tent for God. And we call it the tabernacle. But tabernacle just means tent. So they're going to make God's tent. And the Levites are going to be in control of God's tent. And they're going to put God's tent right in the middle. And then every tribe is like the slices of a pie. Every tribe camps around this tent on the north, the south, the east, and the west. And so they're going to have God's tent is always going to be right in the middle of Israel when they camp and all the tribes camped around his tent. What's that signify? That God is dwelling among them. By day, there's going to be a pillar of a cloud there to show his presence. And by night, there's going to be a pillar of fire again to show his presence. And when he starts to move, the whole nation's going to pick up camp and go with him and follow with him. And when he stops, they'll set up his tent and they'll set up their own tents. And they, but the whole point is what? That God is dwelling among them. God is with them. Just like He's telling Jacob right now, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. And then what happens? When Joshua goes in to conquer the land after Moses has died, what does God tell Joshua? I'm going to be with you wherever you go. So be strong and of good courage. And they're going to take the tabernacle, God's tent, with them. And eventually they're going to give up on the tabernacle and they're going to make a building, they're going to make a temple. And they're going to make this temple, this permanent home. So God will have a permanent home in Israel with them. And then you know what? One day God's going to send His Son. And the Bible says He made His dwelling. Literally the word is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. He made His dwelling with us. He came and He took on flesh and He lived with us. And He made His abode with us. You know, that's what we need in our life is we need God with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel because it means God with us. Well, that's exactly what we see in this reconfirmation is that God is telling Jacob, look, just as I was with Abraham, so I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bring you back here. And you know what? That's the same with us. Just as God sent his son into the world, he is with us. He's with us collectively. You know that? The Bible uses the word temple in the New Testament in a couple different ways. One time he says, we are the temple of God. That is collectively. He's talking to the church collectively there. As we gather together, what are we? We're the temple of God. This building is just a building. It sticks and stuff. You know what the real church is? The church is us. When we gather together, we're the church. We're the assembling of the people of God, which is what that church means. We're the church, not the building. And the Bible says that. It refers to us when, as we're gathered together, that we are the dwelling place of God. Where does God dwell in this world? He lives in us as we are gathered together. He also uses the same word of us as individuals. And He said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That He resides in you? He said, then shall I take the members of my body, the members of Christ, and, and do sin with them? No. No. So where is the dwelling place of God? God, The dwelling place of God is with us as we gather collectively as His church, and the dwelling place of God is within us as the Holy Spirit resides with us and and dwells us. And so as we see this encounter with God, it involved this reconfirmation. It involved involved this promise to Jacob, I will continue to be with you. You know what? In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, He uses the same line of thinking for us. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, that promise wasn't just for Jacob. That promise wasn't just for Jacob's physical family of the Old Testament. That promise was intended to reach all the way down to us. God says, I am with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then finally we see His response. What is the response that Jacob has? Well, firstly, it's a, it's a response of fear. He fears God. Anybody with any logic fears God. He's the almighty God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth. And so he is to be feared. He is a God that loves us deeply. And so it's tempered by that to some extent or maybe uh, shaped by that. But, but God is to be feared. Everybody that we see coming before God in the Bible fears God, falls down before God. I always think of John. The Last Supper, John leans against Jesus. He's so comfortable being around Him, so comfortable with Him. But when Jesus shows up to give John the book of Revelation later, John says, I fell down at His feet as though I was dead. He was terrified of Christ when he saw Him in His glory. God is a glorious a magnificent God. If we're not fear, we're not seeing Him. And that's what Jacob starts out with in fear, and his fear is just part of his worship, as he worships God. So early in the morning what's Jacob do? First thing he does is he takes a stone and he he sets it up as a monument. You know what? It's important for us to have memorials. We see him throughout the Bible. I think when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan Sea on, on dry land, when God parted the river for them, and they crossed on dry land, they get to the other side, God said out and grab twelve stones, one for each tribe, and bring it out and make a big pile of rocks, make a monument. Right here. And what's the purpose of a monument? It's so we remember and our children are taught and instructed and they remember and they teach their children after them and it's to pass it down through the ages. Well, what do we use as a monument in the church of God? There's a couple different things. There's one that we experience hopefully once and that's baptism. Baptism is a monument. It's it's putting a stake in the ground. This is what I believe, and I'm going to picture it for you by being lowered into the water and then raised back up out of the water, picturing the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I'm trusting in. But when we have an ongoing memory as well, every month we do it in our church where we take the bread and we take the juice and we recognize we do this, as Jesus said, in remembrance of me. And so that's our memorial to remember Christ by. Well, that's what Jacob does. He he worships God by setting up this memorial, setting up something that's going to be lasting. And he makes a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. You see, he's dedicating himself. He's making a decision right there. It's changing his life. He's saying, you know what, He's going to be my God now. You know what, that's one thing, young people. It's not your father's God and just your mom's God, your grandparents' God. It has to be your God. You have to come to a point in your life where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your faith of your mom and dad isn't going to do it for you. The faith of your grandparents isn't going to do it for you. Family heritage isn't going to do it for you. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob, this is his this is his moment. He says, God is my God now. And he makes it personal. makes it his own. But then, after that commitment, he says, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth back to you. So he worships Him even in His stuff, in His giving. And all the way through the Bible, whether you look in Old Testament or New, our worship is shown to be genuine in giving. What are we doing when we give? We're showing our dependence upon God that, look, God, I know more of it's coming because you're the one that gave me this and you provide all that. Things that are important to us, we don't mind putting money into. Jacob is just telling God, look, you're important to me. I'm going to give a full 10% to you. And so giving is an aspect of our worship. Our understanding of God, our understanding of who He is, our understanding of Him being providing for us this stairway to heaven, this access before God, this grace in our life, all of that should lead to our worship. All of that should lead to our commitment that we put our faith and our trust in, not Jacob's ladder back there, but what it was picturing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We put our faith and trust in Him and worship Him acceptably.